<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Great America Show. Glad to have you with us all together as we fight for the American way to preserve and protect it and our great constitutional republic. We've got a lot of work ahead of us. That's all right, because we're already seeing signs our efforts are paying off. Take the New York Times, for example. The New York Times, with an article this week alerting the Marxist left Dems, the entire Democratic Party, that is, that there's a Republican effort afoot to actually demonstrate how the 2020 election was rigged and how to fix the electoral system before this November's midterm elections. And yes, some believe that 2020 votes could still be decertified. Even fewer believe if some votes could be decertified, that President Trump could be reinstated as the rightful winner of the 2020 election. That does not seem to be a proximate reality. Well, most of the article rants about decertification efforts and implausibility the subtext of it all seems to acknowledge the Dems' discomfort with Trump supporters and Trump supporter efforts to fix the election that was obviously rigged, if not in all cases, illegal. That discomfort seems less driven, though, by decertification efforts than the fact Republican energy is building at our local and state level all across the country and heightened Republican participation in local politics and elections to assure electoral integrity, well, that's upsetting Dems because it would doom any attempted repeat of the 2020 Dem strategy this year. That obviously is deeply concerning and upsetting to the left. That's a good sign, folks. And I hope you, your family and friends and neighbors are all planning to be full participants and volunteers in your lo local elections this November. We have to win this one, folks. And big issues all around us, of course, and more building. The Russian war against Ukraine, the threatened Chinese war on Taiwan, hyperinflation in America, wide open borders with Mexico, to name but a few of the issues. And all of those issues and more do affect America and all of us. Our guest today is Jonathan Bass. He's the CEO of the leading manufacturer of home decor in North America, PTM Images. It's headquartered in Westwood, California, involved in international business and dealing daily with the big issues of our time. Dependency, wealth transfers, labor, supply chain disruptions, the environment, up close and in person. Jonathan, great to have you back with us on The Great America Show. So let's start with what we're told and what you believe is true. We're told supply chain delays and disruptions are easing, that the computer chip shortage, for example, is improving. But you don't believe that, do you? Not at all. I, I actually think that we're going to see in the next six months a, a large disruption in supply chain. Right now, with the COVID shutdowns raging throughout China and the lockdowns, that means that people can't go to factories and work and trucks can't cross 
from one province to the other without permitting. So the issues really are, you know, there's a ton of boats waiting outside the, you know, coasts from north to south in China. And all those goods that were supposed to be produced now that should be hitting our markets in six months are going to be delayed. Now, they are saying that trade has been surging between China and Russia, and it's true. The trade is surging between China and Russia because all the goods that were supposed to hit pre-Christmas that were paid for and sitting at ports hit in February, March, and April. And so we're, our warehouses are, are stocked with goods, but they're all goods that were supposed to be here for our Christmas season. So it's going to be interesting what six months from now is going to look like. They said that the LA ports have started to get some relief. Well, there's relief because there's no ships coming into port. So they have still 60 to 80 boats outside 150 miles. And then they have about 20 on the last count in, in you know, just circling around port. Wow. Uh, and we're also talking about very little that's being actually uh, exported to China in the way of value-added uh, goods, that is, finished goods. Uh, we are seeing huge supplies of uh, basic commodities, uh, which uh, is, is popular for third-world country experts, but not doesn't make sense uh, for the most developed economy on Earth to be the uh, net exporter on the basis of commodities, for crying out loud, does it? No, and Lou, this whole issue of commodities and supply chain of, of raw materials into China, whether it's cotton, cotton is you know one of the most destructive plants in, in farming, it takes a lot of water, takes a lot of environmental impact, and it produces an export crop that's then used to make thread and go upside up up the stream into apparel and you know right. home linens and whatever. And those goods are sent in raw material to have all the value add in the product added in Asia and then brought back as finished goods. That's the easiest thing for us to onshore. But our government is not promoting onshoring. They're promoting uh, continued purchasing from around the world. Well, let's talk about a couple of specific products. And, and one of them is, uh, let's start with Apple. Apple has, as far as I know, the largest uh, labor base in China of any American corporation. It is immensely dependent uh, on, on products as well as labor uh, in China. And, and Apple is an amazing company. It is uh, the world's biggest, baddest, uh, most uh, cash-rich. It's got the greatest balance sheet and market share. I, I happen to know a few people who are just a little worried about Apple because of its dependence still on China. Should they, should they be concerned? Yes. I, well, China, uh, Apple has uh, Foxcom doing its dirty work in China. And um, they are subject, they're a Taiwanese company that is subject right. to, uh, you know, Chinese uh, regulations and laws. And, um, you know, and typical factory is probably about 10,000 people in direct employees. But remember, the first employees to jump off of a building, off the dormitories, where they had to install nets in Shenzhen were the Foxcom factories. So the, the conditions in working in these factories 
are so horrendous that your only way out is to jump from your bedroom and kill yourself. Labor and, and corporate America, uh, they've demonstrated time and time again uh, in corporate America uh, that they're willing to labor, uh, labor arbitrage uh, any, anywhere in the world. They've done it place after place. But in China and a couple of other countries as well, but in China, uh, we're talking about the Uyghurs. We're talking about labor conditions that are absolutely inhumane. No one is speaking honestly about American corporations who've offshored production, who've outsourced jobs, and who are doing so in support of a totalitarian government that is simply inhumane. You know, globalists were, or internationalists where they began. I mean, we started with Nixon trying to create bridges with China to, right. to um, checkmate Russia out and you know we look at what our presidents do and their actions and we say you know presidential actions don't really mean much they have four years and if they're elected another four but if we look at nixon's opening with um china the impact was 50 years later that we were squeezed out and it was russia and china sitting she and putin sitting planning you know the takeover of the world 50 years later and the americans weren't even at the table and then you look at 40 years ago with Carter and supporting, you know, the Ayatollah against our friend, the Pahlavis and the Shah and taking our, our, our presence out of Iran, left a vacuum for the Iranian uh, regime to be the most destruct destructive, disruptive entity in the Gulf, which actually has the most power within this. And then you look at Clinton who came in, uh, what, 25 years ago, put the WTO in place and put China from an $800 billion economy to the second largest economy in the world. If presidents don't have power, what Biden is doing is going to affect our grandchildren's lives, and we just don't see it yet. So th this issue going on right now with trade and our intent of our globalist companies to search out the lowest cost labor or even slave labor at that point is the wrong attitude. We weren't built on capitalism at slave labor. We fought a civil war, losing 650,000 lives in defense of the freedom of labor and fair labor. So, you know, I think we need to look at, uh, at ourselves and look at is low, you know, saving money and uh, low price, the bellwether for what a capitalist society is, or are we better off looking at America 25 years ago that we were producing the best cars, the best refrigerators, the best washing machines, the best furniture, the best of lighting, the best of everything. And now by outsourcing everything, we're producing subpar products because we can't pack our cost of labor into items and be competitive on a global basis against slave labor. And don't you love, and I'm going to be, I'm going to resort to the vernacular here today because we're talking about a subject that I feel very strongly about, but don't you love the fact that the jackasses in the commerce, uh, the chamber of commerce, the business roundtable, uh, will talk about the necessity of being competitive around the world. Uh, and that to do that, they've got to have a lower tax rate. 
uh, we hear the same mantra each time they are uh, not competitive. Uh, in point of fact, they those other countries have always competed with us on cost of labor, uh, and it's never been the a, 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 an important, significant differential. Uh, it's always been about uh, quality in this country. The rest of the world, not so much. We have really taken ourselves down a, a path to hell, it seems to me. If we don't recognize this race to the bottom has got to end now, and we've got to focus on the domestic economy. And yes, let's be world competitive, but let's be honest about what we're doing. I agree with you that the mouthpieces of these uh, these institutions like the chamber or you know the council for foreign policy or whatever is are completely off base i mean they're they're tending to appease their their donors right and their donors dependency on low cost and even slave labor and the impact it would have by moving production to the north american hemisphere is is death to most of these companies because they're used to 80, 90% margins. I mean, when you look at our largest retailers out there that are making 70, 80% margin, they're paying 20% for the 20, 25% for those cost of goods. And it's the American consumer that has had a dependency on low cost. And, you know, that is, corporate America is not in line with the direction of the American people. And yes, they want to own shares. They want to make money. Profitability is a big issue. Yes. But at the end of the day, we had the strongest, most capable manufacturing and corporate American uh, base for, you know, from the 1950s all the way through 1995 before Clinton took us into the WTO. So this dependency on slave labor is only a dependency on increased profitability without hard work. And, and so long as we allow corporate America uh, to arbitrage uh, labor uh, costs, uh, the, the penalty will fall squarely on our middle class and those who aspire to it. But, there's, just, there's, just no, uh, uh, there's just no other interpretation or analysis that reveals anything remotely approaching the truth if you don't start there. You know, it's interesting because I think what's bothering corporate America right now in this whole situation is how does sustainability, environmental, global warming mm -hmm. play into this globalization mission that's gone towards single source supply chain? How does it how does it work when you have 15 of the largest container ships polluting as much as 780 million cars? And you have 53,900 cargo ships on the water with an average age of 10 years. We're heating our waters at four nuclear bombs a day that's melting our icebergs from the bottom, not from the top. They're crashing into the water because the foundation, I call it the Titanic effect, and 90% has melted away. And the 10% that's above water is crashing into the water because there's no foundation left. And right. so- how does that checkmate corporate America? Because they're pushing the sustainability environmentalist movement, but yet globalization is the most destructive initiative to our planet. No doubt about it. 
and with and you and you never hear about the effect of the cost of uh, the impact of all of those container ships moving goods from China and Southeast Asia to the United States and to Europe. No one, I, I, I have never seen uh, a major splash in the Wall Street Journal to the New York Times, the Washington Post, not one on the environmental impact of globalization. And that really says a lot about the forces at work here, doesn't it? Yeah, and Keith Kroc, uh, who was the undersecretary for the environment at the State Department, you know, I worked with him on writing an environmental piece before he left office, and he went on, tried to place this editorial out there, and the only one who would take it was the Jamaica Observer, and it oh went through, it went through the whole impact that China has in plastic waste, ocean waste, the coal fire plants that are, you know, China is building 1,600 coal fire plants in 63 countries with the effect of a coal fire plant lasting over 45 years. You know, they went through all of these issues that are on the horizon with uh, China and their environmental policies and how we're handcuffed Mm -hmm. and that we Americans are supporting environmental destruction in China without recognizing that the world is one globe and what happens in China actually impacts California. And so I think that we're in a position where, you know, the media doesn't want to go after corporate America because that's who's funding them. Right. And anyone who speaks out against corporate America is shunned. And uh, at the end of the day, Supply chain is national security, and Americans have never exhibited, uh, I mean, in my lifetime, I'm 59, I never saw empty shelves at a supermarket, um, which I've been seeing empty shelves all over this country for two years, and I can't believe that people haven't risen up saying, what is going on here? Why are these shelves empty? It's not toilet paper made in Wisconsin, it's toilet paper made in China that people are lining up for. So now we have shoes, we have toilet paper, we have medicine, we have all of our basic needs of raw materials being held in the hand of our largest single enemy. And to listen to the Marxist uh, Democrats, uh, because that's what they are. They're talking about in every one of their policies, they're aiming at the destruction of the family. They are uh, talking about the uh, dependency uh, enlarged to the entire American society. Uh, it is the death of the American dream. It's the death of uh, a republic uh, that is in the offing unless we do something uh, about the direction in which we're headed. You know, this, this uh, inflation, I was uh, called on a reporter of the largest business news station in February of 2021. And he asked me, what do I think is, sorry, February of 2020, what is causing inflation? Do I see it? I said, yes. I said, look, Sierra Pacific is the largest landowner in California and they harvest trees. Their harvesting takes 40 years. They plant trees and they come back in 40 years and they cut them and they replant 40 for every one that they're taking out. I said, there's nothing that's changed in harvesting a tree except one thing. Keystone Pipeline was shut, threat of cutting off all the uh, drilling 
changing from a net exporter of energy to a net importer of energy. And it started to impact our sawmills, our transportation of wood. And everyone's wondering why is wood gone up by 300%? Wood gone up 300% because of fuel and energy. And so when we're looking at this, until we fix some of these problems, you know, they want to start saying, you know, dog whistling that we have to do business with Venezuela and Iran to fix our inflation issue. So that means that we have to get in bed with our further enemies that want to kill Americans only because we don't want to drill or we want to shut 30% of Louisiana's oil and gas uh, for a the progressive left to be able to get up and say, hey, we're making energy progress. Now, I mean, I, I understand we have a problem, but we have to look at the source of the problem. The source of the problem is globalization. I don't know how in Los Angeles, when we're not allowed to run our electricity to put on our air conditioning from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. in the summers, how we're going to all come home at 4.30 to 6 and plug in hundreds of thousands of cars into the grid. And it's not going to take down the whole grid when we're not allowed to run our air conditioning. The electrification of transport throughout this country. We intelligent people don't comprehend the magnitude of the ordeal that awaits us if we were to, for whatever rabid reason, uh, suddenly decide we're going to follow AOC into hell. I, I mean, it's this is madness that we're dealing with here. You know, my, my thought is, is that we have to look internally first. We have to look at our own table. We have to look at our own home. And we have to fix our own home first. And I think that our political elite have managed to figure out how to manipulate the consumer, the American citizen, in believing that they actually care about all of us and they actually don't care about all of us. They care about their own pockets. If you look at history, history will always tell us what's coming in the future. And the, the, the instance between Stalin and Lenin was a, a battle of whether centralized government or decentralized government. And, and America's decentralized where governors are taking care of the people. And it's usually always governors who come to the support of the people. Um, and now you have, you know, after Clinton and the issues in Russia that we've gone through and uh, where we are with Russia today, where, you know, American corporate America came in and, you know, wanted control of the uh, natural resources from Russia, which is great. Um, and Putin's, I think, discontent with that currently. Uh, and Ukraine is, you know, somewhat of an issue that sort of um, it's the prize that will make Russia a superpower because north of uh, the Ukrainian border is very cold and the temperatures are, are very uh, harsh. South of the Ukrainian border is the energy belt, the, gas, the grain belt, the food belt, production belt. Ukraine's the biggest prize in this whole thing. And had our political elite been uh, aware of what we were doing when we let the Chinese trample through using the Taliban Afghanistan 
and take control of that, putting Iran in a very strong position in Afghanistan, it made Russia and China awaken that they have a golden opportunity to take more control. So they started with Kazakhstan and taking the president of Kazakhstan, who was pro-West, pro-NATO, pro-American, pro-European out and replacing them without a word with a pro-Chinese, pro-Russian puppet. They then went after Ukraine. And this is, if anyone doesn't think that this is China and Russia in long in together. It's it's a question now of where are we headed? Because we have a president who is a complete buffoon. He is impaired. Uh, he is a Marxist leftist, whether and, and people don't want to ascribe that label to him and his administration. But if you look at each of their policies, and domestic or foreign, it's who they are. Uh, and opening our borders to the south, uh, just leaving the country effectively defenseless at the border. The issue we have is that people cannot get visas to come to America. So people who come to this country that spend money in hotels and visit our attractions and fund our tourism are not being allowed visas. My 80-year-old mother-in-law who lives in France was told she can't get a visa and come back and apply in 200 days to visit her grandchildren that she hasn't seen in three years. There's a guy in the Philippines that his brother is getting a a bone marrow transplant. Friend of mine called me and said, is there any way to get his brother? He's the only match to get a visa because the U S embassy refused him to come in and give a bone marrow transplant to his brother so his brother can survive. He was rejected. We have rejections of people all over the world not getting visas to come visit our country for whatever family, medical, whatever the reasons are. But yet, if you go through the southern border, you can walk across. Now, I actually think that maybe this is being done on the southern border to try to combat labor issues domestically. I was working with a company out of Michigan. And in December, I went up and visited their factory, huge facility, million square feet of factory. They couldn't get labor. I said to the guy, we were making a trip down to go down to Yuma to look at a facility. And he said, well, no, no, we got to cancel it. I'm like, why? He goes, we fixed our labor problem. I said, what did you do? He said, well, we are now hiring Spanish speaking only people. So Maybe this labor that's being moved in is actually being moved in to fill the void of people who won't work in our own factories. But that's short-term gain. We have to get our people to want to go back to work. If we don't get our people to want to go back to work and contribute to our society and build our great nation, we're never going to come out of this. Well, we're never going to come out of it because Biden, the left, the corporate America, Wall Street, They don't want us to come out of it. Uh, There's a, it's it's straightforward. Uh, They're bringing in these people because they want their votes. They don't want to believe that Wall Street and corporate America would act in utter disregard of the interests of the United States and American citizens. We're a nation of oligarchs and no one wants to admit it. We exalt billionaires, but we don't pay attention to the fact that they own our media, they own our political parties, and they leave us then 
with rather shallow choices and Hobson choices nearly is the result of nearly every general election. It's funny that you say a nation of uh, oligarchs. You know, it's funny that the Russians are getting dumped on that they have oligarchs, but we have preordained oligarchs. You, if you go back and you look at the Clinton oligarchs, uh, who he took from certain industries, titans that he were nothing, and right. he made them, you know, oligarchs. And the oligarchs that control our country are controlling our government and um we're sitting by and i don't know for how long that's going to last because you know one thing about the americans is that we do know what revolution is and i'm not calling upon it but that if you push everybody to a certain point where they're no longer going to stand by not to rob you because they're not getting the same amount of checks that they were getting from the government. They don't want to go to work and they want your watch to sell it on eBay. Not, not those, but you know, we need transformation and transformation through elected officials. And we need elected officials that represent the people, yeah. not the oligarchs, but money is such a big part of our system to get elected that until we figure out how we can equalize the money issue, and the dependency on the money, uh, it's going to be a difficult challenge. I really believe that most Americans right now are not prepared to revolt. They're not prepared uh, to, uh, to go to the next revolution, to throw off the, the, the invisible chains and uh, manacles that have been placed on them. Uh, they don't even appreciate, in many cases, uh, the fewer job opportunities that are available to them because we have brought in millions, millions of illegal immigrants in the last two years who are taking those jobs and their children are not going to have those jobs awaiting them. We are creating a monstrous uh, contraption in this economy uh, that will ultimately, I really believe, uh, could spell doom for the American dream itself. Uh, we, have, we have no countervailing influence to Facebook, to Twitter, uh, to big tech uh, and its ability to shut down an issue. I mean, on October 14th of 2020, the hammer came down from big tech, social media, corporate media, and you couldn't get a story on the laptop, Hunter Biden's laptop, and the lies of 51 of our intelligence community veterans and five former CIA directors because they were covering for Joe Biden. They stole an election. They stole much of Trump's presidency. And you can't even get the corporate media to talk about it. We heard, and I still don't know why, but the New York Times and the Washington Post finally acknowledged it was all real. And then they, re they submerged again into uh, their, uh, their corporate uh, cloister. Uh, it, it's disgusting. And I, I am truly frightened for the first time in my life. I am frightened of the prospects for this country. I agree with you. And I, you know, I got a call three hours before Russia attacked the nuclear station in uh, Ukraine. And a friend of mine said, hey, go and have, I'm, I was in Mexico City, so he said, go and buy iodine. 
Um, I'm like, you're kidding, right? He goes, no, no, I'm telling you, go buy iodine. So I took, called my kid, said, go buy iodine. Then he called me three years later. He goes, did you see what happened? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, now go buy six months of canned food. I was like, you're kidding. He's like, no. And, you know, I, my wife went and she bought, you know, a little bit more canned food, but not six months of canned food. But the supply chain in food, unless we start paying our farmers to plant rather than paying them to not plant, unless we go in there and start producing uh, food, not for export, not cash crops for export, but crops for internal consumption, we may find ourselves without food. And fertilizer prices are through the roof, but that's a function too of let's take Algeria and Morocco. Algeria now is the number three recipient of Chinese uh, military hardware in the world. And it's there to battle Morocco in the South. Now you have Biden who says he doesn't want to recognize a Southern Sahara for Morocco that Trump recognized, mainly because it was a Trump thing. But the 75% of the world's reserve of phosphate is sitting in su southern Morocco, in, in sub-Saharan, the south of Morocco. Now, the Chinese were able to utilize the UN to get blue hats, peacekeeping forces in quotations, armed peacekeeping forces, Chinese armed peacekeeping forces into Morocco. Now we're looking at a fight that the Chinese want over fertilizer. March 6, Xi Jinping said in his uh, conference that food supply has the world cannot rely on markets for food security, that China needs to rely on themselves for food security. So they're going for the urea, they're going for the phosphates, they're going for every which way to corner America out of the fertilizer business. But you know, those screaming people we heard in Shanghai, earling that they were hungry and needed medication, one day that will be America. Because our political elite is making very bad moves that five years from now will result in massive shortages of food supply. Unless we invest in food supply and protect our friends, Morocco was our, the first country to recognize America as a nation. And we are going at them and they are the security of food supply for the world. And we're going to hand it over to the Chinese. Yeah. Well, we've handed over rare earths, as you know, in Afghanistan to the Chinese. Uh, we have permitted uh, a, the Chinese to ship the world a deadly virus, the COVID virus that killed a million Americans and is still with us, but it is ebbing. Uh, and, uh, you know, thank the Lord. But we have done nothing. Uh, meanwhile, we've been circumvented at every turn. Our foreign policy is madness. And our domestic financial and Wall Street uh, policies are, it, it, it's unbelievable. We have the most secure capital markets in the world, as you know, Jonathan. And what are the major your firms on Wall Street doing, they're trying to invest the, the capital of as, as many Americans as they can in China, for crying out loud, and in Southeast Asia instead of here. And that is madness. And 
we are on our way to perdition if we don't wake up to what is happening without controls, without an engaged government, without a knowledgeable electorate. It's insane because if you look at um, every time I sit down with a corporate CEO and we, I discuss China, they're like, well, they're our number one national debt holder and we're beholden to who loans us money. I'm like, actually, they're not the number one. Japan is the number one. Uh, we owe the Chinese a trillion dollars. I said, but what have American companies, American financial institutions invested in China? The current investments in China far outweigh our loans against our own corporate loan. I mean, our own government loans from China. We've invested far more than a trillion dollars as a nation in China. Right. And it's a paper bag because most every time they go in to audit those companies, there's nothing there. Right. There's four walls and no one in it. So we've based an investment strategy based on uh, uh, an empty bag of goods. And when that thing crushes, I think those guys are going to have a, a rude awakening. Uh, Russia, look, we've what I look at is how American companies were checkmated to pull out of Russia, whether it was Volkswagen as a German company or McDonald's. They, European and American companies had to distance themselves from Russia based on the atrocities that are going on in the Ukraine. We yet have not had the same reaction to the atrocities of the Uyghurs and the rest of, of exactly. the Chinese government. But if they make a move on Taiwan, which is more than likely at some point in our lifetimes, what will that do to American companies? They will be forced to make a decision. And if SWIFT goes into action based on that, Vietnam will be stalled, Indonesia will be stalled, Cambodia will be stalled, Thailand will be stalled. SWIFT will stall all those countries that are transshipping Chinese goods into American shores, avoiding tariffs. So the Chinese are very smart. They now have made us dependent. Prior, right before COVID, I sat on a panel with the Mexican Chamber uh, Mexican-American Chamber of Commerce in LA. And there was a guy from Beijing on it. And he said, you know, we're a family-loving people. We love our aunts, uncles. <laughs> I'm like, how is that possible? You're a one-child policy. You have no aunts and uncles. You have no cousins. Your children don't know how to share. You're entitled society. He got a little red. And I got under his skin. And at one moment, he said to me, he said, you know, you Americans, you're an addictive society. You're addicted to your fentanyl. We provide it. You're addicted to your marijuana, your cocaine, your heroin. I was like, okay, I'll give you that. He goes, but your addiction to low price outweighs all your addiction to all the drugs. And we provide your addiction to low price through low cost labor. And I said, you know, Americans will pivot. Don't think that Americans won't be willing to pay more at some point. And right now with inflation, the proof is in the pudding that Americans are addicted to low price. But you know what? It's not there anymore. So they're moving on. Yeah. They're going to buy better. They're going to buy better quality items. They're going to demand that they get more for their money, that it lasts longer. And that doesn't have China in the equation. So at some point, 
this whole narrative is going to change, but it's going to take a realization of corporate America, the chamber, that the game's over and that they can no longer look to slave labor to make their numbers every quarter. They're going to need to look towards better product, better quality, lasting longer, buy American, buy better. And that will change the dynamic of the future. But here is, here, here's another part of the picture. Uh, and, and it's an ugly part of the picture. We're looking at companies in this country, retailers, who just in and of themselves represent a place on the top 10 export markets for Chinese goods. Now, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about, for example, Walmart. I'm talking about Amazon. Uh, these Home are, Depot, uh, Lowe's, it, it, yeah, it, it, Target, we are, TJ Maxx. We are centralizing, uh, doing the opposite of what works in this country. We are centralizing uh, production, and we've decided to do so on a little place called China. And we're willing then uh, to turn it all over. Uh, to to Walmart, to Home Depot, because that's just those are boffo ideas. They were destructive of decentralization. They were destructive of family business. The small the small businessman and woman uh, has for thirty years just been something of an anachronism. Uh, we have to return. It seems to me to some level of decentralization in distribution, in uh, uh, retail, uh, a- as well as as production. I, I I really think we've got to be strategic in our thinking, and we don't have a single person in the United States Congress who knows what the hell you and I are talking about. Do you know that? Not a single damn one of them. I tend to agree with you. There's not many who understand the repercussions of their actions. T- take Russia. Russia was the natural ally for the West. Okay. Absolutely. It, not it's not it's Roman ethos, but an Orthodox ethos. Um, they have nothing in common with China. They have more in common with us than China. Trump would have probably made a deal with Russia, and the globalists would have been out. That the Chinese will use everything they can. Their export model is crumbling. They know it's over. Why are they shutting Shanghai? using COVID to shut down the cities. All of this is collapsing. The Chinese are using the Russians as a means to an end. It will play it out over phases, but the Russians were pushing for, we're pushing for regime change in Russia, which we should have never done. We should have talked about uh, you know, a unification. We need Russia against China more than China needs Russia with them. And so the, this whole issue is going to put us into a position where we are segmenting the world into trading blocks that are no longer valid under the old way. And China's actions, China's actions with Russia from the Olympics all the way through, if that doesn't show our politicians what we're dealing with, there's nothing will. If the CIA director under under Biden, I meant I almost said Obama, uh, a Freudian slip there. Um, there may have been a correct slip, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the CIA director saying that China is our number one threat today 
Russia's, I mean, they can't, their ships don't even sail. They're sinking, you know, the Ukrainians are ship taking out everything. I don't think that we'd have the same type of war with, um, with China. I think it would be far more devastating. Uh, offensively, I think we would um, be hurt. And I think we would lose a lot of lives. But I think that we're pushing on four fronts right now. And I don't know how our military under Austin is going to deal with four fronts. You have Morocco, Algeria. You have the Gulf. And the Iranians have been testing that and been prodding it since Afghanistan. You have a, a mismove on Poland is going to pull 40,000 troops into war up there. And then you have China, Taiwan. If we end up with two out of those four fronts, we're spread very, very thin. I, I think if you talk about the generals uh, and admirals who are in charge at the Pentagon, I think that would be quite a challenge for them, anything more than one front. Uh, and you yeah. know, it's part of what scares the hell out of me. They have doctrine based on long wars for our, our, our Marines and our army. Uh, they know how to make a war last uh, and spend trillions of dollars and achieve nothing. We have a group of some of the dumbest SOBs in American history running our military. And, it, and no one wants to say it out loud, but that's exactly the truth. We've got great men and women in uniform. Their leaders are awful, and we should be ashamed of ourselves for permitting it. We haven't, we haven't conducted oversight over these military academies. We haven't set standards uh, for them to repair to and in becoming uh, flag officers, staff officers, general officers from the very beginning. It's a, it's a horrible, horrible mess. And that's why they can't recruit anybody. Most young men who want to serve this nation want better than what they're being offered, which is madness from the White House and the commander in chief. Uh, they know that the, the Pentagon is, is a joke. Ooh, out there that is an enemy of our Western culture and Western society would not be elated by what they're facing in the White House. Yeah. Susan Rice, Valerie Jarrett, you know, this, this, this whole administration is really uh, confused to where they're going. And I think what they need to do for the security of the American people. And I, quite frankly, I don't think they care about the American people. I don't either. You know, I just don't think they care. And, but you know, Lou, I've buried many of family members that were very wealthy and I never saw any of them going to the grave with uh, even a checkbook. So whatever their financial gain is or whatever their uh, egotistical gain is, we're all going to die. And what we're going to leave behind is a world that we have either helped or aided in the destruction of. And we really need to think, and I hope that they go to sleep at night, knowing that a world led under an American Judeo-Christian basis is much better when you're turning off the TV, no matter how bad it is, than a leader like Xi Jinping. If you want to turn your TV off at night and the last message coming from Xi Jinping, then we're going down the right path because they will. We will be a colony of the mothership China.
And that's maybe what they want. You know, it's bought and paid for. I mean, for for Diane Feinstein to have for 20 years her houseboy driver, her personal assistant, having access to every one of those national security documents for 20 years. And we weren't able to put him in jail. It's where is it going? Well, unfortunately, I think we're we're more than a lot more than halfway there. Uh, when we we have a justice system now that's uh, George Soros influenced local DAs by local. I'm referring to the uh, 2020, 20, maybe as many as yes. 27 cities, Democratic led uh, that have prosecutors that irrespective of the violent crime, almost uh, irrespective of any violent crime, will not prosecute because there is a social justice uh, uh, ideology within uh, all that we're watching that somehow allows them to virtue signal not only to one another, uh, but uh, to remove their conscience from any calculation. You know, I used to think that we can't influence policy, that those of us with a voice, but we can. You know, I went to uh, Kevin McCarthy with an idea, with his, uh, you know, instead of putting all these blocks to capture carbon or stop carbon or, you know, regulate carbon output, why don't we just plant trees? You know, when I was a little kid in Sunday school, we used to collect quarters to plant trees in Israel. So I went to him with the idea that why don't we tie foreign policy, foreign aid to planting trees around the, uh, the world? And it ended up being the trillion tree program. And we can, you know, that little boy that went to Sunday school, putting quarters into the little thing to plant a tree in Israel had the idea of the trillion tree program. But it's a very simple alternative. Plant trees, they're being cut down in, in the Amazon, they're being cut down in China at a high rate. If we don't go using God's natural way of curbing carbon, what, what are we looking for? Putting carbon into salt mines, closing up the salt mines, and so how crazy are we going? Plant do a you, seed. Do you think the America we know will be around when those trees are harvested? Because I don't. No, and I, and I think where we've got to plant some some growth uh, is in this country, uh, and we have really got to take care of this country. Uh, this is no longer, uh, the, you know, internationalism is terrific, and I think we look. We've you know this. We've created more than half the world's wealth in this country. We've generated it. We have shared it, uh, and we have driven it. But for those who think that we can. Uh, avoid attention to the most dire uh, challenges this nation has ever faced from within, I, I think they're mistaken. And I think that there is, there's no time uh, here uh, for any kind of evasion of the reality. If we continue to put up with this Democratic Party and a government that is filled, infested with Marxists uh, and radical leftists, uh, we're doomed. The, the, the shame is, is that ego drives a lot in America. Um, power drives a lot. And the power of the non-elected official uh, drives a tremendous amount that we need to have some kind of control over. You know, when, when you're driving down the street and you're a citizen and you go 80 miles an hour, you get a ticket. But, you know, for some of our deep state, they can drive 80 miles an hour and not get anything. 
So we're we're we have this political society, and it's almost like you know the path in Africa is you choose government or military as one path to become wealthy, or you choose another path, which is economic business, which you are uncertain of its outcome. You know, the political trajectory in Africa is the one that brings you the money because it brings you the payoffs. If, if we're going down that path, the bribe, America, the America's over. We are there. You and no one listening to our voices can point to a single person in the FBI over the course of the past seven years who has stepped forward to say, I'm a whistleblower and I know that uh, the Russian collusion hoax was orchestrated by the Clintons, by the Democratic National Committee, and here's what's planned next. And these are the people within the FBI who are carrying it out. By the way, everybody had to know it. You and I both understand that. But you, you look at that, and then you look at a guy like Rick Singer, the college counselor. What was he getting $6 million to place a Chinese kid in Stanford for? Yeah. What was he, why, why was it worth $6 million to that Chinese guy to go into our labs to steal our research? Yep. And Rick Singer, you know, is, is, where's Rick Singer? Where are the people? Summa Corporation behind him, Oppenheimer, all of these banks that were funding and bringing him around to introduce him to their Chinese clients. Where, where is all that? You know, what's gone on? What's gone on with all that money? Where is it? Where's the FBI on this one? You know, they got, they got 40 high profile people, but the big prize was why was it done? Why were the Chinese using our system to infiltrate our universities? Well, let's ask another question of the Chinese and ourselves. Where are those Confucius Institutes that were ordered closed in the Trump administration? And how many were closed in our in our public schools, our uni public universities? Uh, and, it, and guess what? Most of them are still there doing yeah. exactly what they did before. And if we're thinking about the investigation into the Chinese espionage uh, and uh, and theft of our technology and our intellectual property, how many cases have been brought by that uh, very esoteric and elite group uh, set up by the Justice Department and the intelligence community uh, to aggressively investigate and prosecute them? They were disbanded. They were disbanded, John. And we're, and we're worrying about it. In Russia. We're, we're, I, I mean, worrying we're, about we're out of our minds. We're, the biggest thing is, is that we're not worrying about Russia. We're worrying about global warming, but yet we're not solving the problem. We're, we're going to every which way, but not the problem, just to confuse the American people. You know, uh, under Trump, CISA, I, I was part of a, a group of stakeholders that were on calls, and CISA uh, called an emergency call, and they said, our our um, OWA, our Outlook Web Access, uh, and our JavaScript has been taken over by the Chinese. And they wanted everyone to start to put patches on our critical infrastructure. So our food supply, 
our ports, uh, everything was being shut down and taken control by the Chinese. Um, then they took and they disseminated the codes through Twitter. And it happened the week that, if you recall, the Twitter uh, attack happened where they were sending out, send Bitcoin to so-and-so, and we're going to send you back you know, 10 times as much. So it happened that week. Not one news organization reported on it. But yet last night, 60 Minutes reports on Russia hacking of our infrastructure. But yet China, which I heard with my own ears, sitting at my own dining room table, had taken control of half of our Fortune 1000 companies' infrastructure. And not one peep was said about it. And it wasn't being hid. It was actual fact. Last night, the disinformation on 60 Minutes saying that the Russians are in control of our... What, are they kidding? That's not who's in control. The Chinese are in control. They're in our backyards. They're in our computers. They own our American companies that are behind the, the wall. They, we've allowed our enemy to infiltrate us. And until we recognize that it's not... The, the enemy of your enemy is my friend or something, you know? So it, China will dominate America. I had dinner, I'll give you an example, American company uh, owned by a Chinese public company. And I meet with his son at Yamashiro for dinner in LA. And I said, so you have two kids born in LA? He said, yes, I'm moving to Newport, great said to me, he goes, but I'm moving back to China. I'm like, why? He said, let me tell you, my father's a member of the CCP. That makes me a member of the CCP. I have to go back. And I said, but you came to America to educate your kids and put them in school and have them born here and have them raised in a different you know, methodology. He said, yes, but I'll bring them back to run for office in 30 years. Well, uh, I think we've got some idea of their intent. Well, what about... COVID virus. And then the next thing is avian flu, bird flu, devastating chicken flocks, uh, wreaking havoc with uh, chicken farming and production. Is that just a coincidence? No, here's the thing. Remember what we saw in those videos in Shanghai with people early of hunger, locked in their apartments with no food. If Americans don't think that that's a path that the Chinese would love to see America in, you, you know, what they have is they have proven their methodology works. They could launch a virus in Wuhan to stop demonstrators in August of 2019 from demonstrating in Hong Kong spread it around the world with a certain type of DNA that they got from our 23andMe DNA and attack a certain population. And it spreads around the world within months. They know what they have in, in this virus and game of function issues. They can attack, take Jews, me. They can go for Ashkenazi Jews, they don't even have to pick Sephardic Jews. They can use a virus to take out anything and anyone they want and impact us. 
unless we awaken as a nation to how serious this threat is, we are done. The end of the world could be here. And, you know, I said that to a friend of mine on the phone on on, uh, Saturday. And you know what? He didn't laugh. He said, I'm on the advisory board of a graduate school in D.C. And we train a lot of agency people that are, you know, getting graduate degrees that are going to the next level. He said, that's our single biggest question is they all feel the end of the world is near. And what are we going to do? So to me, what this COVID has proven to the Chinese is they can specify a pig, they can specify cattle, they can specify particular food sources, they can specify particular people, generation, and they can go out with the virus and take it down. So how do we stop it? With a weak administration, with no fear of retaliation, the problem why we're not coming out on COVID, why aren't we saying what COVID is? Why aren't we saying where it was generated from? Why aren't we admitting to certain things? And why aren't we admitting that Obama and Fauci invested $3.7 million in it? Why, why are we shoving all this under the carpet? What's the narrative? What's the disinformation? And where is it going? And why is it going there? You know, the pig uh, deaths that were going on in China, I mean, as it's their main source of protein, all their pigs were dying. And that's why they weren't buying soy, because if they were buying soy, they were storing the soy, but their pigs, why are you feeding pigs that are dying? So they wanted to get rid of their, the, the flu that was killing their, their swine flu. And so we're in the same position. They can go after our birds supply. Now, take birds. If you notice, Tyson's had a bunch of recalls right. for plastic in the carcasses of the animal. Well, how is that plastic getting into the animal? It gets into the animal because before Purina used to make food supply in America, it was more expensive, but they, we had, we had a, our own source of domestic feed. Well, now we're buying that feed from China, bringing it in. But how are the Chinese selling it so cheap? Is they're taking plastic and they're increasing the weight of the feed by putting plastic, re- recycled carcinogenic plastic into our food supply. And it's ending up in the carcasses of our chicken. And Tyson, when they get caught, have to recall this chicken. So what are we doing to ourselves? I mean, you look at steel. Steel in America that is recycled, melted. We check the steel prior to it being melted for uh, radioactivity. Do you think that the Chinese are checking steel for radioactivity? And they're recycling it and putting it into our furniture that we're putting into our home. We could have radioactive tables at our dining room because it's coming from China. Do you think the Chinese are checking for radioactive material in their metal supply chain? Americans do. Our American companies are required to. So what's it going to take, Jonathan? Uh, This is we know that China is the enemy. It's not the chief competitor are the principal competitor. Uh, It's not a potential cooperator. It is seeking dominion over the world and the destruction of the United States. 
but so is so are our elites. They actually are aligned with the Chinese uh, because they mean to destroy our our constitutional democracy, our republic. Uh, now they have different ways of getting there, I think, but their alignment is uh, remarkable and unremarked upon by our wonderful globalist media, corporate media. What are we to do about that? And how are we to respond when we know that our political system is corrupt, our elections are rigged uh, without even so much as a blush from the Democrats, uh, our court system is corrupt. We are a nation in trouble and we don't have a single, single uh, leader using his or her voice to awaken the American people. You know, so there's a couple of things I want to answer on that. That uh, America is, with all its faults, with everything, is the greatest country in the world. And, you know, I call it God's country. And our forefathers came in and they put a system in place that was against one party rule. No king, no queen, no oligarch, no czar no one party rule. They put a system in place that made us compromise. Through compromise come solutions that are beneficial for every. No one voice should have control over our nation. And yes, I believe that they want one party rule. And one party rule is the, dis- the, the destruction of this country. So that's, I hope that, I hope that our system that the forefathers put in survives this attack to, for a czar, a, a king, a queen, a one-party politician uh, that controls everything. But going back to China, how do we deal with it? I think there's two forks in the road. One, China attacks Taiwan, and it's over. It's decoupling at an immediate moment. And you know, watch America wake up and survive. That's one. Two is that we continue down the path and Xi Jinping believes in his heart in Shensei, which is that the emperor of China is the mothership and that all other countries are colonies that depend on the mothership and wants a return. Whereas everyone says Putin wants to bring back the USSR. Xi goes even further. He wants to incorporate the imperialistic power of China and go back to the whole world being under domination of the Chinese government. So you have two leaders that want almost the same thing, and you have America there that's going, well, but we want you know, greenhouse gases to be controlled. You're kidding, right? Okay. What about planting food? Oh, no, 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 no. That creates methane. We can't have our farms creating methane. Let's stop from producing food. You know, I mean, we're in two different levels. But wealth, you know, I raised my whole life in L.A., and you have this, uh, this elite in Hollywood. And, you know, they make $20 million a movie or $50 million, and they feel guilty for the amount of money that they make when other people aren't. So what they do is they come in and they try to push the rest of us. They should pay more taxes. They should do more of this. They should do more of that. But really, why don't they do it? Start with themselves. If they believe in a different world, they should reach into their pocket and pay first. 
Why are they coming to all of us, the American citizens, and saying, wait, we, you have to do more? Start with yourself. You don't want plastic at home? Take all the plastic and all the derivatives out of your house. You don't want glass? Take it out. You don't want metal? Take it out. Oh, what are they going to want sell? out of my house? is all the Chinese plastic. I want the Chinese virus out of my country. I want the damn Chinese brought to bear for accountability. I want retribution. I want reparations. I don't want any bull. I am sick and tired of living under the threat of what China is going to do or think or what some, uh, you know, pencil neck buttercup in Washington uh, thinks of global warming policy. We are looking at all the wrong problems, all the wrong issues, while square, square in our face is communist China and, uh, and, and Soviet Russia in the remaking. Uh, we, we're fools to let our eyes be averted. We're looking at a, a, a corporate news media that is working for elites, leftists, Marxists, trying to destroy the country. Our corporate structures are absolutely rotten to the core. Our markets, our capital markets, are very perilously close to being, uh, let me put it this way, destabilized. We are kidding ourselves in this country, and we are damn fools for doing so, and we've got to awaken to that. That's the fork in the road that I want to take. And if it isn't a fork in the road, I want to blaze a path in that direction. But you're right, because we bonus corporate America not on finding solutions to our global supply chain issues, but continuing profitability. Yeah. We don't, you know, we're not incentivizing building automation and factories and investing in our supply chain infrastructure. We're incentivizing companies on investing on our infrastructure in a green, uh, sustainable way, which is all coming from China, which doesn't make sense. But we're not incentivizing a decoupling of our issues and our dependency on a single source supply chain. So and that's we, where should we decouple? hundred percent. You know, Trump said it. Trump said, start to move your supply chains. No one listened. Robert O'Brien wrote a piece in the Wall Street Journal saying our biggest single threat is uh, China. No one listened. Everybody gets up and says, China, you can't rely on them. It's going to be a problem. No one listens. Because at the end of the day, you know what? Maybe we're going to get our containers flowing again. And, uh, you know, we can raise prices and sock away the freight costs. And now... You hear, look, at the USTR, there was a letter that was sent to the USTR, signed, I think, by 146 members of Congress, of which 60 plus were uh, Republicans. Who signed that letter? Young Kim, Michelle Steele, Republicans that had stood up for changing supply chain in California. You had Kevin McCarthy. You had Nancy Pelosi didn't sign that letter, but guess what? They did overturn a lot of the Section 301 tariffs. And that just kicked the can down the hill. And I don't understand. The USTR sends a letter that doesn't accomplish anything. We have Republican senators sending a letter to Nancy Pelosi she doesn't read. 
what in the world happened with political process in this country where you, you go after results? I can't. The only person getting results is Joe Biden, and he's the dumbest son of a gun in Washington. But he can sign an executive order and things happen. And it's and that is the repository of all power right now, because the Republicans don't have a fresh, original idea about a single damn thing. Well, we have to go back to compromise. We have to go back to um, true compromise. We have to go back to sitting and respecting each other as Americans with different views. And we're allowed to have the Constitution provides that we have different views. Good Lord, Jonathan, you're one of the smartest people I know. You tell me who's going to sit down and represent the Republicans at that table and who will represent the Democrats, the leftists versus well, I the rhinos. I mean, there's no room for compromise. You're talking about a party that's committed to the destruction of this country. They want one party and they want it to be theirs. And they're almost there, Jonathan. And who would, who then, would you want to be that negotiator for the Republican Party? One person, just name him or her. Ronald Reagan. Oh, well, you know, we're going to have to exhume him right, uh, but the, to make that work. We, I was thinking get, someone a little more animated. I think Tom Cotton. Oh, uh, my Lord. He's well, a rhino. He's but, a rhino posing as a conservative. But at least he understands the threat of China. In, I don't want to compromise that much. I don't want to compromise on a guy who's got his eye on a different job. No one, no one will win that doesn't stand in tow with the current narrative. Um, well, then you know what? We lose. You know, Carla Sands, I think, could be a voice of reason. Uh, a woman who served in Europe could bring uh, at least a different perspective to the table as ambassador. You know, I mean, we need people that are not government. We need to go back to the 2468. Two years was us Americans doing our service, going to the House of Representatives, bringing two years of service and going back home to our farms or our factories or our towns. And then four years for president, six years for a senator. We have to have term limits because these terms that Jonathan, are going you're 30 talking years, like we've got we've got 10 years here. We have a midterm election that's six months away. We haven't fixed our electoral system. We know that the Democrats are going to continue to persist in pushing an electoral season rather than a day. We know they're going to want to be counting the votes. Let me ask you the obvious question. What's wrong with Trump? He was right about everything. The Democrats owe him big. What do you think? I would love to see change. But okay. I think change has to come from somebody who's not a, a, a guy who gets up there and says, I want to see a United States of America and then go back and punish every Republican or every other party. That stuff you see in other countries, right? We're going oh, down we, the path of you of, are quoting Obama. World. You are quoting Obama, right? Right. I mean, they don't want unification. They want, as you say, single party rule, but they want control. They want ultimate control of the people. They want to say, you can go lock up in your house when we tell you. You can go on an airplane when we tell you. You can go travel to a hotel when we tell you. And if we don't tell you, you can't do it. So, yes, I think that we are in a position that is we don't have time. You're 100% correct, Lou. 
time is our enemy. Time is always our enemy. We're in a position where our decisions in these midterms are going to affect our children's lives and the possibility of our freedoms for generations to come. And our, it's going to affect our global impact. And, you know, I, I got an uh, email from a deputy mayor in a very big city who was a Democrat who said, you know, I hate your, your thought process, your political thought process more than anything. I despise what you stand for and who you stand for. And I was like, well, let's talk about it. He says, I won't talk about it. And I said, you know what? If you despise it that much, communication, openness, maybe I'll learn from you. Maybe you'll learn from me. Maybe we won't learn from each other. But, you know, to have a system of foreign policy held in the control of one person's hands is a dangerous thing. You know, and even the direction where our country is going under one party rule is a dangerous thing. And you know what? The fact that they're messaging this whole thing of sustainability and environmental green and, you know, the pain at the pump. Well, the pain at the pump, you're going to continue to see the pain at the pump until you succumb and buy a green car or a, a car that you can drive for 45 minutes or an hour or two hours and then stop and have to charge it for 45 minutes. I, I have no clue what they want from us. But whatever they want from us involves where they're going to make money and what their 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 goals will be for after their elected officials. They want to if take away our rights. They want to take away our freedom. They want to take away our choices. They want to take. Did I mention our guns? The fact of the matter is they don't want us as American citizens. They want they want us to be American units of labor. They want us to be consumers. They do not want us to be citizens. And guess what? If we as a people do not revolt, rebel, and resist, we lose. And it's you that know, simple because we don't have any elites smart enough to lead us. You, you left one off the, the table. Safety. You know, Safety? This, this we're we're country, in imminent danger. Safety isn't even course. a consideration. But you, you, you have a country that all these Europeans used to come here, all these Gulf nations used to come, and they used to say, it's amazing. You can walk down the street in America and nothing happens. You can't walk down the street in Paris because you're going to get uh, robbed. You can't walk into your apartment in the garage in Paris, you're going to get robbed. But in America, there's safety. Well, today there's no safety. You can't go to a restaurant. A friend of mine has a restaurant in Beverly Hills. Guy walks up, says, give me your watch in broad daylight and start shooting people. What safety is there anymore? And you, well, you, defund, you defund police, you're going to get results. And that's one of them. There's no mystery in this. There is nothing about this that is foggy, that elusive, ambiguous. Uh, and there's nothing about any of this that we should be ambivalent about. You defund police, you get no law, you get no order. It's that simple. But that's you follow, you follow the dicta of the Marxist and you get totalitarianism. It's that simple. There is nothing in this that I think is worthy of a treatise, a philosophical treatise on possibilities, because it's all about winnowing possibilities. And those possibilities are the potential of each and every American citizen 
that he and she will no longer possess because of this damn Marxist Democrat party that is bent on our destruction. But that's why the forefathers guaranteed our right to bear arms, to protect ourselves, and that safety is a huge issue. And you know, a friend of mine, I want to tell you a story after the election, uh, in, I'm having lunch in Beverly Hills and, uh, during I'm going to have to keep you away from those tables, my friend. Well, wait. During, <laughs> during it, you know, the, we, Beverly Hills was the site of a lot of Antifa, Black Lives Matter. They destroyed Rodeo Drive. Beverly Hills is really considered one of the safest cities with the safest police departments in, that I've ever seen, you know. But it was brought to its knees. And I'm having lunch with a friend of mine who's a Democrat on the day after the election, and there's a a armed vehicle walking by with, with, you know, guys with M16s on him. And he's like, what's that for? I'm like, you guys put it here. He goes, oh, it's over now. I'm like, it's over now because you said it's over now. What do you mean it's over now? You guys started this. You guys started from the Women's March. You started Black Lives Matter. You started Asian hate, Jewish hate. You've gone through all of these things that has started to, to, to ignite the worst side of people for your own political gain. And now you say it's over because Joe Biden won. I hope well, Jonathan, it's not over. I hope well, it's we're over. not over. Well, I hope we're, we're not over. Uh, you, you mentioned Kevin McCarthy. He wants to be Speaker of the House and he probably will be. But you know what? It isn't going to be because he ever did a damn thing. It isn't because he's a great believer in any particular uh, political philosophy. Uh, he is a rhino. And, and by the way, that's the way it is. But we have to have better than that. That a lineage of Paul Ryan, uh, of Kevin McCarthy, uh, as speaker, well, it's John Boehner, <laughs> Paul Ryan, and, and, and Kevin McCarthy. Look over at the Senate, Mitch McConnell and every American who is not despairing for the for the future of their children and their grandchildren right now just isn't informed. I truly believe that. And it's time for everybody to get wired into the truth and what is happening and understand why. And Jonathan, nobody has the why down better than you. I really appreciate you being with us to to give us your thoughts and uh and try to, uh, if you will, incent, uh, inspire us to, to our higher, better natures. But I have to tell you, I think this fight will end in the streets. And I think this fight will have to be won by people who understand precisely, precisely how uh, fragile uh, and right now endangered the United States is. We always give the, our guests the last word. Your turn, my so, friend. So as Kevin McCarthy has been a friend for over 20 years. And I hope that Kevin, given the position, will do the right thing for the country. And I'm counting on it, hopefully, that he will. And it will be that if he listens to other voices. But that's, a, you know, that's all to be seen. And his, his history will be made by himself. And hopefully he'll, if given... God gives him that he'll do the right thing for the people of this country who put him there. But 
The last word is the threat of China is our biggest single threat. And unless we start voting every day, and that's Americans can vote every day, they can leave made in China on the shelves. They don't have to buy made in China. They don't have to consume it. They can buy something else. And the minute they start doing that, it stops the whole process. And at the end of the day, we Americans can vote with our wallets. We may not be able to surely vote with our pens anymore, but we can vote with our wallets. And until they take our wallets away from us, we'll, we'll be able to at least have that power as a consumer. And if we buy made in North America or made anywhere but China, we're taking the blood supply away from the heart of our enemy and giving the future and bringing back small town USA, which was taken out by China. And China is our biggest threat. And if you don't think for one minute that those families that were decimated in small town USA, decimated, lost their laundry, lost their shoe repair shop, lost their cafe, all boarded up to nothing. We now in LA see what boarded up supply chain is. We see boarded up stores everywhere because small town USA has now hit big town America. And it's China, it's globalists, it's the WTO that has brought this to America. It wasn't uh, subprime lending was the cause. It was moving small town USA to, to Guangzhou and taking all those jobs and giving them, the only other job was working at the Walmart Supercenter at $7 an hour. How do you rebuild a country when 99% of the people in small town USA work for the Walmart? We have to change. We have to take the hard pill going back to work, building America and building great product that the world wants to buy because it's high quality, high value, and it's long, la it lasts longer than anything you buy anywhere else in the world. And that will bring American business back. That will be the revival of our industrial revolution. So hopefully, God willing, Lou, with your voice out there as you do, and as you bring our nation a different perspective and a perspective that is, I hate to say over the last 20 years, been right more than anybody else. Um, if you continue to have that voice and God continues to give you the power and the health to do it, we have a chance to fight for this. Hopefully we'll win. Jonathan Bass, uh, you're a great American. Thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me again. Thank you. Jonathan Bass, a great American. God bless you. Tomorrow, our guest is Dr. Robert Malone, one of the inventors of mRNA. He's a physician and biochemist vaccine skeptic and public health critic and great American. Dr. Malone always has a fascinating and eye-opening view of the world, and you don't want to miss him here tomorrow on The Great America Show. Please join us. Until then, God bless you, and God bless America.